Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. There are three different types of radiation, alpha, beta, and gamma. What does this technology do? It's like, well, what can you do with electricity? I just survived 30 years HIV positive. I'm certainly not going to let a little thing like a brain tumor derail me. When I got to 29 pounds, I was so tired, I just collapsed. Everything always goes back to being grounded and centered. It's a mecca for cycling, for sure. Struggle is the neutralizing force. And I said, there it is. This is the right family. I'm, I got like cold chills. And it's one lone oak tree right in the middle of the trail. It's beautiful. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you've had a great week since the last time that we got together. I am super excited for this week's In the Company of Friends talk with my dear, dear friend, Soup Fa, whom I call Superstar because his name is spelled S-O-U-P. So Superstar is very appropriate. He is an ambassador for the Cambodian community as well as a music artist, filmmaker, documentarian, you name it, he's done it. He's just an amazing person. I want to interject a few things here before continuing on. You're going to hear me say that I'm live, but this episode was recorded live. What you're actually listening to is a recording. And I also want to clarify that Soup is a first-generation American with parents born in Cambodia and Thailand. He says second-generation a few times because he's considering his parents who escaped the horrors of a war-torn Southeast Asia to be the first generation to arrive on American soil. So that's the context in which he's using the term second generation, but he is a first generation born American. And also (laughs) we mentioned Kevin and Kanong a few times. He is the same person. He's a dear friend of mine and he's also Soup's god brother and recording partner. In fact, if you stay past the end credits, speaking of recordings, you will hear one of Soup's recordings and it's absolutely worth listening to. It's just beautiful. Just to give you a little bit of background on who that is. And then I just want to put a warning up here in the front regarding the content of this episode. Soup speaks about the genocide of nearly 2 million Cambodians, which is well above the 20,000 figure that I mentioned in here. It is much closer to 2 million. And this occurred during Pol Pot's takeover and the Khmer Rouge invasion in Cambodia. Soup provides a fairly vivid recollection of his father's accounts and retelling to Soup as a survivor of these atrocities and someone who continues to exhibit these many years later signs of post-traumatic stress disorder associated with the atrocities that he witnessed and lived through. So this account is hard to listen to. It's honest and therefore it's devastating. So please be aware that this may be a sensitive subject to some Although we do get into some lighter conversations, it was a very difficult time in the history of the world, specifically in the history of Cambodians, Thais, those of Lao origin, and of course the Vietnamese. So um, 
let's continue from here. So I'm super excited to be here live with him. Normally when I do my podcasts, I'm recording them online. So I'm talking to somebody in a remote location, but I'm sitting right next to him, bumping elbows and knees. Oh no, oh no, she's pushing me out the way now. Yeah, yep, yep, I'm pushing him off his chair. Oh my goodness. (laughs) <laughs> Hi guys, I'm so happy to be here on my good friend Sylvia podcast. It's such an honor because she's such a sweet soul who has done so much in the world of entertainment and also as a person who gives so much in her writing, her illustrations, her work. So I've been honored to know Sylvia for so long and I'm so proud to be here right next to her actually. We are here today to be He's human sitting beings. On my lap. I'm sitting on her lap right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. We're just <laughs> <laughs> we are just uh, rubbing knees together. We are. So, um, yeah. So, like I said, he is just this amazing person. We've known each other since 2016. 2015. No, 2015. You, yeah, when you first started. Yeah. When I first met her, I was like, wow, she does a lot in film. She's just like me. She's creative. She's always creating content, even with social media, starting to be such an abundance for everyone. I mean, it was only starting. TikTok didn't even exist at the time. It didn't. So I think we had Instagram. We had Facebook. MySpace was like ancient, so we don't use that anymore. I remember using MySpace a long time ago to put my music on that platform. Yeah, Yeah. that is very old. YouTube is like one of the biggest platform. Everything that we used to listen to, like this amazing podcast we're on today. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm super excited to be here to share my story and to jump into details about what's going on in the world and what's specifically going on in Cambodia. So I'm really happy to dig deep into that with Sylvia here. Yeah, let's get into that because last night, as I shared with you earlier, I started to watch... They Killed My Father First, mm-hmm. which was about the Khmer Rouge right. invasion of Cambodia. And what it really made me realize is that I don't think people think about Cambodia and the other countries as much because when we talk about the war in Southeast Asia, it is always Vietnam. And Cambodia, of course, is one of the bordering countries. It is a country that got a lot of the brunt of that war. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was a casualty of about 20,000 Cambodian people. Yes, definitely a a, a fact. Um, A lot of the people that were executed were doctors and nurses and um, intellects aristocrats, musicians, because what happened in the Khmer Rouge was the Pol Pot came into being because he wanted to bring Cambodia back to its original state, which was just farmers and having no education, no music influence from outside countries. So, you know, France and Europe was such a huge influence, including America, on the music scene in Cambodia. It became like a rock nation, and they were singing a lot of rock and roll music and blues, and he didn't like the influence of that coming into the country so he made this story about americans invading cambodia at the time so everyone rushed to the countryside and they were threatened by stories of bombing which were just rumors by the khmer rouge to get everyone out of the city so they can have more control over the people so one by one people were getting executed in the countryside people were getting murdered and killed including children including people who spoke other languages you know these were people from thailand and laos and vietnam who were there to do business who were murdered because they weren't cambodian 
and even if you spoke Chinese, you were murdered. So a lot of my um, ancestors were Chinese, so they were murdered. Half of my family don't even exist anymore. So it was um, to hear the stories from my parent, my dad, about what was going on. It was very traumatic for me because I didn't understand why he would have PTSD sometimes, and he would have vivid dreams of what happened. He would remember bodies laying. Everywhere. So, when that film came out, he didn't even want to watch it because it would trigger trauma. So, for certain Cambodian people, it was just something they didn't want to remember. Of course. Um, but for me, as a second generation Thai Cambodian American,、uh, I had two cultures to learn from both stories. Like my mom's side was more in tune with their their country being okay. Not having to deal with war, where my dad had to become a refugee and go into different countries, and how was he going to be able to survive with his family not speaking English, coming to America for the first time? So he had to learn English in Cambodia at the refugee camps, while he, they were fleeing the Khmer Rouge at the time, and just so many stories he was trying to tell me without having to shed a tear because it was so dramatic for him. Um, but for me, as someone was, who was born here with parents coming from another country that was filled with murders and war and struggles, I had to learn to understand his point of view. Because here I am, too focused on being American, you know, going to school like a normal person, having food on the table every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and more. And I never really paid attention to what he was talking about until later in life. When I got older, I was like, "Okay, so where are you from? Who are you? What's your origin? What are what is our ethnicity? What languages are we supposed to be speaking?" Because I went to college and I started learning about Asian American culture, and that's when I was like, "Wait, weren't you in the Khmer Rouge?"、So、I was. I was like, "Well, it's interesting how when you let them tell the story, the story has a much more dark, sinister."、Um, Mask behind it that I had to slowly unmask from him, and he told me one story about he had a horse, and his horse was、um, missing one day, and he was looking for the horse everywhere. His favorite horse that he rode every single day, and he told me that the Khmer Rouge came with the red scarves. They wore this red scarf called a klama. A klama is meant to be a sign of Cambodia, but they they made it look really dark by wearing a red and black outfit. So he told me that he they came back. They were eating his horse. So they ate his horse in front of him, and he was traumatized by that moment. But since that moment happened, he was like, "I have to be strong. I have to survive. I have to." You go into survival mode, and you do get that trauma.、Mm -hmm. You know, when you you're speaking to people who have gone through these brutal times, it is an unmasking because they do want to put it away. The human spirit is. Survival. We're just going to keep trying to survive. But how do you get over something like that? You、right. know. And I thought it was really interesting. One thing that you said, and you know, of course, we'll come back to this. I've got so many questions when you're while you're talking. You know,、um, but I know that in the majority of wars, the people who are first killed are the intelligentsia、right. of the community. So it is the teachers. Government officials, doctors, anybody who might have an understanding of what's going on, and perhaps create an opening for an uprising, they're going to be murdered first. Right, right. And a, a lot of musicians, I mean, some were spared their lives because they needed singers to sing their anthem. 
their Khmer Rouge anthem. They need a singer to survive, so they can write these songs and have them sing about certain things. Like they had someone called Anka, which is someone they had to look up to, which was like a make-believe person. So they every day the kids would get up and they would have to salute to this person that was supposedly the higher power, you know. But with the Paul Paul regime happening, he was the, the mastermind behind everything. With all these murders, with heartless murders, I mean, kids and babies were getting thrown off cliffs and mountains and. Um, you you can't believe that. I mean, even now, if you tie them to the Ukraine, it's still happening now. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary mm-hmm. thing about learning about history and also seeing it happen in present time. It's it's repetitive because there was also what was going on in Europe mm-hmm. with the Holocaust yes. happening at the same time. Yes. So these were dual Holocausts, right, really, right. Um, where there were people who were in a community one day and the next they were getting marched away and being stripped of everything that they had and brutalized right. in ways that stay with you forever um, and just really change you know, the, the whole trajectory of your life. Right. And it's such a, to make these comparisons to the Holocaust and to what's happening in the Ukraine and also tying it in with the Khmer Rouge, I feel like there's a, uh, how are we changing this? How are we going to stop genocide from happening around the world? I mean, we're in America where it's nice, safe. We have to deal with things too, even with the recent school shootings. What what we're seeing with everything is that we have to see that everything that's tying together, they're massacres. These are brutal killings and murders of big groups of people. And even here, what school shootings, they're not small. They're no. still huge. But imagine thousands and thousands getting murdered while we sit here and watch. Mm-hmm. You know, what What are we going to do that's going to help change and not have this happen anymore and not have to add genocides to future histories? Because now future children or future generations will have to be like, wow, there was the Ukraine that's being added to the history books now. Holocaust. Khmer Rouge, even what's going on in Africa. The genocides in Africa that are happen around the world. all the time. So for me to learn about my father's survival, being a person that survived the Khmer Rouge and the genocide, I was like, how does it affect you now? And he told me that sometimes he can't sleep, he can't eat, he remembers screams in his mind, uh, he remember crying in terror. And being so young, he was only like 10 years old. I was going to ask, how old was he? Yeah, and having to escape into the jungle. And people should not laugh or um, make fun of those who are eating crickets or insects. Because during that time, there was no food provided. So they had to find a way of surviving, which were eating these grasshoppers who have nutritional values. Even for me personally, when I found it, I was laughing. I thought it was funny, but I stopped laughing once I figured out why. Because when I was in Cambodia for the first time, I was like, oh my god, everyone's eating crickets and insects and grasshoppers. Why, why, why? There's so much food out here. Why are they eating that? Because it was part of their history. They had to learn to eat it, including lizards and snakes and everything that was they could find. Whatever they could find that were walking, they were going to eat it. Because they didn't have any food. Right. That you know, was completely stri- stripped of them. Stripped of them. They were provided like rice porridge, but they only have a spoonful mm-hmm. each person. So you were being, you were basically being starved to death. You were supposed to die. You were left to die. How long was he in that camp for? The war ended in nineteen 
79. 79, and it started in 1975-ish, I believe. Mm, 75, 76. Yeah, yeah about three there. years. He was in the camp probably a few months before the war ended, because that's when Thailand opened up their borders. And even at that time, the confliction between Thai and Cambodians, it was difficult too. So how many were Thais let in? Even with the Lao, and you have to remember, it's not just Cambodians going through the Khmer Rouge, it's Laos too. They live amongst the Cambodian people in Cambodia, amongst the borderline. So other ethnicities were being murdered and killed and brutalized. My god brother, he has experiences with the Khmer Rouge but he is of Thai Lao origin, but they have been through that war. And when Vietnam invaded, they pushed all the Khmer Rouge out. That's what I've learned in history. And it's, even speaking now is such a sensitive topic that even if I misread a certain thing, I will get criticized. Try to really think about the words I'm gonna use because I could say something and it could be completely misconstrued. So I would say now if I misconstrue any of the history, please don't take offense to that because I am, I wasn't born there, I was, I'm second generation American having an opportunity to live in America because my dad had been through the Khmer Rouge and um, so anything I say, like I said, should not be misconstrued because I'm still learning. So uh, for me, it's, it's all about listening to the facts and what truly happened. So for me, it's everything my dad told me, that's his experience. Everybody has their own specific experience that they've been through. But the story that my dad had given me is what I'm basing my facts on. And it's what he lived. So that's the only perspective that mm-hmm. he has to mm-hmm. provide you. Um, was it his whole family at the time? I mean, what was life like before the Khmer Rouge? They had a great life. They were his dad was a lieutenant that ran the village, and he had they had a, own a farm. They have a business, but they lived in the countryside, so their life was very um, easygoing. They worked hard. They came home. They ate a lot of fish. They had a lot of lakes near nearby. They had little mini stores. It was nice. It was calm. But when the Khmer Rouge came and destroyed everything. It shook everyone's life apart, and he was still very young. So he had a bigger brother that died from, not specifically murder, but from starvation. So he had an older brother that passed. He had a total of 12 siblings, I believe, and half of them got murdered and died from illness or sickness. And um, I think about six is left over now, which they all managed to survive the Khmer Rouge. And what about grandparents grandparents i mean so his his mom and his parents survived and they they all came to america so they were at the refugee camp in thailand and from thailand my dad learned to speak english and he learned to speak thai but my grandpa spoke thai already um which is why i'm multi-cultural i can speak thai and i learned how to speak Khmer in about six months when i was in cambodia so i was really touching base with myself so what he told me was that from Thailand, he learned English from a little book that he read. So nobody spoke English in his family. So he knew coming to America, he had to learn to speak English. So he can at least hopefully find a job or learn to communicate. Because look, if you're going to a foreign country that you know nothing about, how are, as an immigrant or refugee going to another country, can you imagine the fear of not being able to understand the culture and the culture shock. And it, this is the time when America was opening up to the melting pot that we have nowadays. Mm-hmm. We have so much history going on. There's so much growth. Um, but racism still exists. And hopefully we continue to grow from it and learn that every single person has a story, has a history, has a, 
a way of life, their culture, their background, who we are, you know, we because have something to contribute. Yeah, America is a native Native American land. If you weren't, if you're not Native American, you're from somewhere. So we need to learn how we respect others in the way that they struggle to get here and understand their story. They contribute such a huge part of America and who we are today. Mm-hmm. You know, so my dad ended up in Louisiana. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just have to ask. Cambodia had a lot of French influence a already, right? A lot of right? French They're influence. Colonial, colonial. French colonial. Yes. And you see that in the architecture. You see that in the food. Absolutely. Did he, and then Louisiana, of course, has mm-hmm. the French colonial influence as well. Did he speak French? That's a very good question because his mother spoke French. So they were able to navigate. But I remember her saying that the French Creole had a different accent. Yes. So it's a bit harder to understand because it was almost his own language at the time. But um, so because my dad was able to speak English, it helped navigate the family. It's the uh, vernacular of the place. Mm -hmm. It's like probably certain parts of Cambodia have a different dialect. Dialects, yes. Yes, absolutely. So um, from Louisiana... They stayed there for maybe three to six months, learning to work, finding jobs, having... But they were provided resources to learn English. So the whole family was given a chance to learn English so they can thrive. But the best part is my dad already spoke English. So he knew how to help his family. And he he's a smart guy. He really picks up really quickly. You know, he's a witty person, which I get some of my wittiness from. But from, from there, he went to California and they settled. He went to college and worked hard to help his family and he helped keep an eye on his uh his siblings um his older siblings did not speak english so it was harder for them to learn english but later on he was able to help them get jobs and help them found foundation with the help of america with the resources they have they were able to get food on the table have a roof over their head have sponsors who were american sponsors help because they wanted to help isn't that amazing that's the amazing part so america was truly a, a great place for them to restart their life and have an opportunity to get away from what they've been through which was all the trauma that happened during the Khmer Rouge and how old was he when he got here he was about 11 12 so it was like 10 was when he got to the refugee camp 11 12 he got here and then he reached his teenage age started working already under the table yeah trying to find every way possible to make money I'm first generation American And my family, they all got their green cards is what they gave out at the time. So they applied for green cards, got them, came over. But my eldest uncle, Ricardo, came over first and he checked out New York. And um, he really liked New York, but he felt like, let me see what else there is in America. And he went from New York to California, and of course, we got these beautiful beaches, and it's similar to a tropical country sometimes, you know. So he brought everybody out, and he got them jobs in aerospace, and um, I just cannot imagine. Your family had to leave. I mean, there was no way that they could survive that kind of brutality. Mm -hmm. It just, I... I just get chills and, you know, my heart goes out to them that they had to, to live through anything like that. How It's just horrible. Um, but having to leave a country or choosing to leave for better shores and for better opportunities without speaking the language, you're right. That is quite stress-inducing, you know, when you don't learn a language. And, you know, I've traveled a bit 
And everywhere that I've gone, I've either known the language or I've learned it before I've gone there. So I always learn enough just to be dangerous. I learned German because I was going to Germany and Austria. I learned Italian, which is similar to Spanish. It's key. It, It makes a huge difference in your experience if you can at least have the basics of a language right and that's very important because um they spoke khmer at home but when you're out in the about you're speaking english but like i said racism was still a huge it's still huge now but at the time even worse so imagine being mistreated and being given no opportunity to thrive because you don't know how to speak english but not just that you are a person of color you know and that time it was things were changing but not changing fast enough. And know? that was the late 70s, is what you said, 70s, right? going into 80s. 80s. Not just that, having to deal with racist, race, racial attacks and um, having to deal with um, being an immigrant, being a refugee, and not looking like certain people there at the time. So there's a lot of struggles that you have to face, not just escaping a country that was murdering your people, but coming to another country that you had to learn to adjust and learn to really be part of the people yeah because you're an outsider i mean it's like you Mm -hmm. don't want to lose that individuality right but you need to also homogenize into society at the same time and those are huge expectations of anybody you know we take it for granted Mm -hmm. um one thing i can say about the 80s is that they were a much more lucrative decade right so things were less expensive Mm -hmm. um and the dollar really stretched far right i am always talking to sophie about that just remembering that you know i was of course single pre-kids 80s and i just remember i could do anything on my salary and so that was there was your family able to purchase a home at that time so they were um renting apartments and homes um they didn't have quite the sustainable income that they needed at the time but like you said the dollar did stretch enough where they were able to buy clothes or put food on the table and have a comfortable lifestyle you know so i i don't remember ever struggling with clothes or anything but i remember we used to shop at payless i'm like i don't i don't want payless all the kids here they're getting nike shoes and adidas and everything i want those he goes son i mean the fact that we can buy you shoes to put on your feet, you should be already happy with it. But that's being born here as a second generation American. You're going to want everything else society is doing. You're going to follow the same path, the same footprint, right? And I didn't I didn't really, at the time, I didn't care where anybody came. I just knew that I wanted to be like everyone else. But I've learned that I was a person of color when one of the kids made fun of my eye shape. And that's when I knew, oh, shoot, I'm not the same as you guys. Slowly but surely, I started really trying to understand who I was, um, where my family came from, why is our way of thinking different from how they think. Because when I go home, I'm speaking a different language. But when I go to school, I'm speaking English. And you're actually first generation, not second generation. We're born here. Right. Your parents are from Southeast Asia. And right. Then, okay, so right. you're actually first generation. First generation. That is um, really interesting. I'm really glad that you brought that up because the same thing happened with me. And I hear this from yeah. other people who are first generation Americans is that we spoke a different language in the house. Mm-hmm there were different values like it was really clear when you were in your home right because we were eating food that were different 
rice and soy sauce, um, things that were not comparable to the school lunches that I was provided in school. It was spaghetti, meatball, pizza, hot dogs. So my my parents will make me hot dogs at home and hamburgers, and then they will make themselves rice and things that they were familiar with. Um, so they they wanted us to integrate into American society because, like you said earlier on, survive of the fittest. How will you survive? We can't have you surviving if you're gonna be stuck with our culture. Now you gotta learn to have dual cultures: American, Asian cultures. You gotta learn to eat both cultures, but also how do we keep you grounded, but also continue to help push you and have you be comfortable being in part of the American society? Right. So I'm like, mom, I want hamburger. Just... You know. The parental dilemma, how much of our homeland country do we maintain in this child? How much do we let them go? And at what point are things being lost that are really important, right? Right. So, um, you know, like it's really interesting with food. I don't think in Costa Rica peanut butter is a thing. I didn't try peanut butter until I was like 13 years old. And everything that I ate was, you know, rice and plantains and beans. I mean, the stuff that you would imagine that they eat in Costa Rica, that's what was at home. Right, and right. every once in a while, we would get hot dogs and yeah, hamburgers yeah, yeah. too. It's the truth because I remember um, certain foods, I didn't know how to eat it. It was just so different from what I was used to eating amongst my peers. Pizza, hot dogs, spaghetti, rotisserie chicken I was so used to. So my mom's like, oh, they're not, they don't know how to eat our food. So we have to learn to teach them to eat other people's food. So she would make half and half. But sometimes she'll make rice and I have to learn to eat rice. Um, a lot of fish. So um, my dad was like, if you don't learn to eat this food, how will you survive when we go visit our country? I'm like, oh, okay. So eventually I learned to eat both. I would eat some here and then switch it off. But that also helped me grow as a person. I was like, wow, I'm come from multi-roots. Keeps you connected. Keeps me connected to who I was. And um, I think a lot of Asian Americans will use the term uh, whitewashed. But I never considered myself that because I wasn't. For me, the definition of whitewashed means you are just embedded into 100%. I'm American and I only speak English. But I, the one thing I didn't understand was why were they so proud to be whitewashed? Why was it so a thing, you know? I'm whitewashed, but they sounded so proud. So I remember being in college and having this this one gentleman go, Hi guys, I'm whitewashed and I don't know how to speak my parents' language. But he looked so happy. I'm like, I'll raise my hand and go, Well, I was born here too, but I speak three, four languages. Does that make me whitewashed or unwhitewashed? And they just turned and looked. And I, I said, I'm very proud where my parents came from. I'm proud of the culture. I'm proud of the clothes. I'm just extremely proud of my roots and who I am as a person. And the more I embrace it, the more it opened many more doors mm -hmm. for me into the international world, which helped me become who I am today as an entertainer, a host, and getting to go visit Cambodia for the first time ever was an another chapter. And that was in 2014. 2015. Right. I remember you were going to go see your grandfather yeah, yeah. in Cambodia yeah. and you were super excited about that. And super, I was like excited. triple excited for yeah, you. Yeah. So how was that trip? It was such an amazing trip. I was so nervous being in the airport by myself and having someone come pick me up. But the culture was so different. But what I saw different from here was people's love. It was such a loving country. They didn't have much. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have money. They didn't have like beautiful restaurants like we do here, 
the difference here is that people here we don't really talk to one another we just kind of keep to ourselves but over there people are like cooking on the market people are dancing and singing and having a blast and i really enjoyed it i was like this is so cool um there's so many different colors and the languages and the dialects and i had a uh, an explosion of like culture shock but in a good way people see culture shock as like a negative thing sometimes but it's not culture shock is like could be positive I'm like wow this is mind-blowing how life is here they're eating on the streets they're they're talking in a different language and I really learned how to use the language of my roots you know and I tried my best to speak it but the most important thing that I learned was the history I got to visit the museums where they were killing people in the Khmer Rouge uh, I got to learn about what was it like being on land but I went there to learn the culture but I didn't expect to become an artist out there eventually right and um, I'm a singer before anything else I've learned to sing all my life I've been singing since I was five years old and um, I was always looking for some kind of way to create the kind of music I wanted to create but I wasn't sure at the time until I was in Cambodia and I found my niche and it was singing it spoke to you it spoke to me loudly and Got, got some put out some controversial songs and got kind of in the hot waters a little bit but it showed people that i was here to speak about the true conditions of what it was like living during the Khmer rouge and some of the songs were touching base on that murder killing and i remember you also wrote a very touching song about your grandfather mm-hmm. i wrote a song about my grandfather about how he went missing and we never found him again and the song is called snipe but which is when in english it means true love so when they were separated in Khmer rouge i sang about my grandma calling out for him and he never responded he didn't know where they, he was and that was what that song represented and the the sad thing is he was never found and we still don't know what happened to this day but that song was almost like my tribute to my a grandpa that i never got to meet and but i knew his story and my grandma before she passed it meant the world to her mm-hmm. to hear that story you know so so um i had a question about that and i got touched uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was really touching yeah. that that you went and did that um, while you were out there, how much recovery of the countryside has occurred? How much rebuilding? How much taking back of the independence have the people achieved? So a lot of it is coming back. They're still working on debombing the country. So they have these beautiful rats that know how to smell and detect bombs. And they would go in and smell for bombs. They would dig them up and de-escalate the bombs and defuse it. So there will be no more bombs. So the country is recovering about 40% now. Of bombs have been defused. So they've neutralized 40% of the bombs that have been buried in the country. So right. there's are there actually bomb fields? Absolutely. Are... There's a lot of uh, news about kids and adults getting amputated by these bombs. They're losing their legs, their arms, and this is happening on a daily. But the country is in the program to help deactivate these bombs so we're not going to have to deal with people losing their arms and legs anymore a lot of the time this is happening in the countryside and this is the legacy of war-torn countries Mm -hmm. afterwards where these bombs are everywhere in the ground the cities itself has recovered from this time period or is it is it a thriving place it's it's becoming it's becoming a lot better it's more international uh investors coming in so although they might be losing their identity a bit 
is controversial. Even me discussing this topic is controversial because yes, we are getting fundings from other countries and whatnot, but is Cambodians hold on to holding on to their identities? So um, it's still definitely in the work. It's a balancing act, right? yeah. But if you ask me physically how Cambodia is look, it's looking beautiful. There's a lot of beautiful buildings, a lot of um, restaurants that are uh, matching here. I wanted to go back to what you were talking about with the fact that the um, refugee camps, mm-hmm. when they were in these brutal, just horrific conditions that they had to withstand, and like you said, a lot of people died of starvation, they had to start eating the insect life or you know whatever life was there they became hunters of these smaller species right and one of the things that you told me because when you came back from your trip i just have to tell this story um soup and i worked at the same place for a while and he shows up at my desk at eight o'clock in the morning after returning from his trip from cambodia and he says i brought you something still And the funny thing is, honey, had just gone on a trip to Iceland. Iceland. And she came back and she brought me this amazing Icelandic chocolate bar. I, you know, it's been 2015. It's been years. And I can tell you that was one of the best chocolates that I'd ever eaten. Normally I share, did not share that chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) It was so good. So the following week, here's Soup going, I brought you something, Sil. And I said... What's that? And again, it is eight o'clock in the morning. And he goes, I brought you a tarantula. He goes, do you want to try it? And I'm like, a a tarantula? (laughs) And he goes, I'm like, like a cooked tarantula? And he goes, yeah, it's deep fried. I was speechless. And then I asked, you know, well, does it still have hair on it? And you said yes. Yes. And I'm thinking, it's eight o'clock in the morning. I am barely starting to drink my coffee. I don't think I can have this discussion. And um, and then finally, I, you know, I told him no. And then I had to ask because I get this sense. I get FOMO. Like, when am I ever going to try a tarantula again? Right. Who's ever going to offer me tarantula? So I'm asking you a million questions. And literally a million questions. Literally. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was true. And then I said, What's it taste like? And Soup's face lit up and he goes, they taste like peanut butter. <laughs> I go, what? They do. And <laughs> why do they taste like peanut butter? So these um, tarantulas that are located in Cambodia, they're very specific to Cambodia. And so they eat the roots of trees and trees have a taste of root and butter. So when I bit into their guts, I'm like, whoa, it tastes like peanut butter. I'm like, I'll eat it all day long. And that's exactly what I did. Yes. And by lunchtime, I had talked myself into trying a knuckle. Not a whole leg, just a little piece of a leg. And I go, okay, Soup, I will try it now. And he goes, I already ate it. (laughs) So I never got to try the tarantula. It was so, I mean, she was missing out. I mean, the opportunity was there. It's either you take it or you don't. And she didn't take the opportunity. I didn't. I really missed out. I really made a mistake. And, you know, I've actually thought about that a few times. So we are going to have to go to a Cambodian 
restaurant are there any cambodian restaurants they don't anywhere have can... it here these like i said when i bought them they're so specific to cambodia they're not allowed to come here oh so like you're missing out you're really missing out so now. i'm gonna have to actually you go, gotta go to, to the country cambodia so i'm gonna you. take i'm gonna take sylvia with me to cambodia so when i'm on my little music tour she can go and try some unique food yes and i think that would be a great i mean like i said we'll it, film me yeah. eating a knuckle. you're not gonna That's die it. from eating a tarantula you know no, but <laughs> I might feel like <laughs> like I am. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that that. But you know, a lot of the, what I've learned was, um, you know, when you're an immigrant or someone com- coming from a different country, you have a mark on your arm. My dad had the mark of uh, when you have a some kind of shot, mm-hmm. and these shots are really strong, so they leave a mark here, and everyone like. And the funny thing is, growing up in school, people are asking for it. I used to have one. They actually gave those shots when I was a little kid. Yeah. It's gone. Um, oh, it's right there. Look at it. It's very, very light. Do you see it? Yeah. It's almost disappeared. My sister, I think, got a keloid. A keloid. So is that what happened to your dad's? It keloided over? And I, I don't think they give them anymore. But the ratio thing, you know what they call it, was a, a fob shot. A fob shot? Fresh off the boat. And that was the ratio term they used Ooh. back in the days, you know, so... It's interesting how certain things can be masked up or cloaked, but we have to be careful what we say to certain people, you know? Yeah. Okay, so in 1972, smallpox vaccines stopped being a part of routine vaccinations in the United States because they actually eradicated smallpox. Right. So some people do have a scar on their arm. I have a small one. It's practically disappeared. All that it did to me was it, it was a discoloration, really, you know, like uh, melanin um, overproduction in that spot. But some people did keloid over. They did. Yeah. So it's just, you know, those are little details of what happened. And um, you just it's part of history. Right. Especially during that time when the genocide happened out there. Um, so I really learned how to. Try new foods. I was scared to eat the tarantula too, but when I ate it, I'm like, it tastes like candy, so I'm gonna keep eating it. Candy. Which is what happened. Tastes yeah, like peanut, butter. peanut butter. Yeah, yeah. They're Very, not sweet, right? They're sweet. They are. Mm-hmm. They're sweet and tasty and delicious, and um, I would eat them over lollipops these days if they have more in abundance. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have to try a little piece. And I don't understand how she would want to try a leg out there. All that traumatization <laughs> during in that morning of 8 a.m. She goes, I'll try a leg. I'm like, it's all gone now. Too bad. Yes. Yeah, no it more was, for you. I think it was about 11 o'clock by that time. 11 o'clock, she was ready to try some spiders and, and I'm like, so, no more for you. <laughs> so he comes back with like dried shrimp or something yeah, like she that. Yeah, tried, she tried the dried shrimp that I brought over. Yes. So we go... Sylvia, it's not gonna bite you. It's dead. She goes, it tastes kind of interesting, kind of good. I'm like, absolutely. Come on, it was salty Salty and and a lot of umami. A lot of umami taste to it. Yeah, very unique. What the the dried shrimp? Do you rehydrate it for soup, or does it get sprinkled on? It gets sprinkled on salad. Okay, uh, there's something called a papaya salad that's really good. Oh, I've had or chicken feet salad. I've never had that. Chicken feet is really good, you guys, if you never tried. I'm I mean, it sounds sure, it yeah. sounds unique. I mean, people would first think, oh my God, what did that chicken walk on? But once it's nice and clean and they skin, it tastes delicious. Soup. You're going to turn people's stomachs <laughs> with this food. But, you know, like soup sad, this is what people ate um, who were in a war-torn country and didn't have other things to eat. And um, you find this in a lot of places where there's foods that are so far out of the mainstream that you just think oh my gosh that is 
horrible. I would never try it. But that is somebody's food, and so you do yeah. have to be respectful of it. Yeah, everybody, and, everybody has different foods in other cultures.、Uh, liver and onion in America. There's、right. so many different things Or, that、like、you、I、have to said, try. I didn't try peanut butter until I was like 13 years yeah, old. Yeah, you know? because you've been eating food from your background, your culture, your history, your family, what they cook at home. Right, right. You know, so, and now I can't get enough peanut butter. Yeah, peanut butter is、like、so good. Best stuff in the world. But you know,、um, apparently, I I already like tarantula. There you go. I already got a palate for she's, a spider. She's ready to try spider now, and I think after spider, <laughs> she'll try the snake, cobra, everything that comes.、Oh、a、goodness. bat, maybe. I know you're getting a little、uh, <laughs> a little ambitious there. I'll start with a little tiny you know. bite of spider. No, but well, maybe you know, <laughs> jumping into going to Cambodia for the first time and being given the opportunity to p- compete on a TV show and winning a record label, I was like. Okay. Was that in 2015 that you won the record? 2018. Table? 2018. When I came you went, back. Yes. So when I went back, that was the doors open wide, and they were like, "Wow, this unique person with a when they speak Khmer, they have an American accent." They're like, "We don't have that quite yet out there." So many more doors started opening, and their song I I auditioned was the song.、Um, Uh, there goes my heart, and I sang that song live on television, and people just blew their minds, and it was so beautiful and. Because I pursued American music for a long time,、mm-hmm. I was really fighting for my dreams here. But for some reason, doors kept closing, open and close, open and close. I kept getting rejected. So I was like, I'm gonna take a vacation and learn to sing other different kind of music in different languages, which I did. And after that, I started learning to sing in other languages, and it blew up one by one. One of my songs hit, I think, number seven on iTunes, Cambodia. And that was a big milestone that I was like, dreams do come true. That's huge, and you know, people forget that there are other markets out、That's、there aside from just the American market. Yes, you can get one hundred fifty million views out there and still make money, and still be able to have a business, and just like you do here, right? It's okay to look at other markets. Right. You gotta be strategic. You gotta be smart. I went out there for fun, and I learned something new. That you can still gain a huge how many, following. How many people can say that? Not many. You know, and I think that that speaks to not just your open spirit, but you know, your adventurous spirit for trying new things, for just opening yourself up to what's available. And I think it's really important to do that. I mean, imagine being told all your life that you weren't good-looking enough, you were ugly, you couldn't sing, you couldn't dance. Um, and then finding people that saw your talent and what you're capable of doing. You know, I got to go on tour, perform for like twenty thousand people that I never knew I would be able to. And、um, that's when I knew that any dream is possible、mm-hmm. if you put your mind to it. Never doubt yourself. And you know, we kind of go into the topic of mental health. Believe in yourself. Surround yourself with the right people. You know, tell yourself that you're capable. Keep learning. You can never stop learning. You can always learn to better your craft. You don't have to put a little. Oh, I'm done. Just keep, keep, keep working at it. Even if no doors open, just don't focus on that yet. Right. You know. And then I got a touch of fame. I didn't know how to deal with it at first. I was like, Oh, this is so cool. People know who I am, and I'm like, Wow, this is interesting. But the fame thing is not as important as the work that you put out because you're getting critiqued left and right. I'm getting negative comments. Positive comments, people telling me that I don't sound right singing in the language, that I'm not authentic enough. It was really hurtful at the time. 
you know, that's when I shut down. You can't sing in a language clear. You're half Thai and Chinese. You're not part of us. You're not authentically yourself. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but the world is changing. The world is shifting. So I started singing in Thai and Cambodian. And I would blend two songs. And I'd be like, please learn to love me for who I am. Because this is who I am. There's no other way to present myself. But then I did something controversial. I wrote a song about the genocide along with my team. And this song, it, it was either getting like a bad press or good press. And people were like, this is really sensitive no topic. There's no in between. This is either going to go bad or going to go good. Um, people were like, you know, you're going to trigger trauma, people. You're going to cause people to have PTSD at its worst because you're singing about brutality and murders and this and that. But I said, but I'm so sorry, but I have to sing about my life. That's what I want to be as an artist. I want to sing about real life situations. Authenticity. That song blew up. One of the biggest songs for adults to listen to. This one woman came up to me at a laundry shop and I was sitting there in my pajamas. She comes up, she stared at me for a long amount of time, like, what, what is she looking at? She comes and goes, Your jammies. <laughs> yeah, my jammies. I was like, my hair's messed up. I just got out of bed, went to do laundry. Um, and then she came up and she was like, are you him? I said, who? Are you the guy that's singing that song about the genocide? I said, yes. She gave me a big hug and started crying. Oh. She goes, thank you so much for acknowledging what we've been through. Because my children, they don't care to listen to me. Mm-hmm. But for a young person like you, to listen means the world. That means you guys are paying attention and you don't forget what happened to us. And ever since then, my passion just kept pushing for more. I wanted to make more music. I think it's important to acknowledge those things. You yeah. know, I did an episode early on while the podcast was still evolving into what it is today. Sophie and I went to see the Tupac Shakur exhibit in Los Angeles and it was just a phenomenal exhibit. And One of the things that, and I'm not comparing you to that, but in a sense, there is that understanding that the realities of life need to be presented. And he did that. He did not shy away from anything. He didn't shy away from the brutality of the inner city. He didn't shy away from the racism against Black Americans. And, you know, so he's got a lot of, I mean, he had a lot of controversial songs they were about the difficulties of life and i think as harsh as they are issues these topics that are so hard to talk about are now being sung about and they're making their way back into prominence and importance and just hey here is some history there there's a historical documentary type of quality to it and I think it's really important to share that. And then, of course, I am outside of this culture, but I think that people around the world need to hear these songs and learn about what happens in other communities and where, especially here in America, where our melting pot comes from, mm. like you said, what the backgrounds are. Right. It's, it's truly um, a great thing to realize that music is been a huge part of the Cambodian culture and also a huge part of healing you know but I I want to sing the special line that I wrote that I did for the song and I'll translate it for you guys after I sing it in Khmer this is the genocide song that I did and I'll, I'll explain to you what the lyrics meant to me okay 
So that song dictates and it translates to as my my dad my father cries out um as the the blood sheds through his heart emotionally and physically seeing people get murdered and killed having his mom concerned because at the time family was separated some were sent to this camp mom was sent to this camp females were sent here males were sent over here so i wrote that song in line with what he told me and that specific line hit a lot of hearts at the time and that song became an acclaimed song that I got to use in movies and I gave permission. I didn't ask for any money back, but any money that was donated to me, I would donate to an organization that needed to help amputees with, you know, so it was it was a way for me to be able to fund certain to things and to give back because I was able to sing such a part of a history. And that song was, uh, I'm such a goof sometimes. All the, you know, I'm such a goofball, but when it comes to serious matters, I have to knuckle down and be serious in the song. And I was goof around in the studio all the time. And my producer's like, can you stop it? Or can you be, can you really focus on the story? And I'm like, okay, take a deep breath. And, but now you can hear the authenticity when I sing the song. Absolutely. I get teary eyed, I get emotional because now I'm singing about my dad's story. Um, so that song means a lot to me. It's, it's on iTunes now. Um, so you guys can find it there if you want to give it a listen and feel the history. You guys might not understand it, but um, it, it does talk about the history of the Khmer Rouge and the genocide. And we'll put a link in the show notes for that. Yes, and I shot that music video at the Angkor Wat. The Angkor Wat is like a beautiful, it was used to be part of the Seven Wonders of the World. And I, I was given permission to shoot there and nobody was there except me. So it was like a spiritual awakening. And I was, you know, just really feeling the energy of that earth and what I was going through. And looking back on it now, I'm like, wow, I did that. Even you even till this day, so like, whoa. But I have so much more chapters to tell. And I can't wait to share with the world what we have coming up. And you're so good at connecting people with their roots and who they are and expressing it in such a vibrant way that I'm really looking forward to seeing what else you, you're going to do musically. But yeah. you're also an official ambassador. Right. So I, I work closely with the royal family of Cambodia. I'm a trusted ambassador for them. I do a lot of special events that they invited me to. I'm going back in October. There's a royal family gathering for the queen and the princess and uh Wow, speaking about like honored, what an yeah. honor to be doing something so at that caliber. And me coming from this little humble Long Beach, California, uh, that's why when I tell people dreams come true, I'm humbled by what I'm talking about right now. I feel so overwhelmed because I've never seen myself as capable because I've been told all my life that I wasn't good enough at doing what I was doing. So when I learned that I was being given this big project, I said, me like little old soup i get to do this it made me feel so happy and i i think right now it just hit me what what kind of project i'm working on it's it's a big deal and i think that there's that generational shame yeah that regardless of whether you understand that you are not in that situation it follows you it's something that you hear from many 
cultures that there is a generational shame that follows or a generational trauma that follows and that integrates into the fabric of your being Mm -hmm. and your psyche how you see yourself and i think that i would venture to say that for you specifically like it's time to drop it because despite everything that your family went through despite the horrors and the trauma that your father experienced and and then just the going from that almost like going from the the, the frying pan and into the fire into the fire of coming to america right and then trying to navigate those waters and finding stability here your parents just created this great foundation for um, you amazing foundation i got to go to college i got to get my degree i got my bachelor's um it's not easy. I was the first in my family to graduate college. Of course. So to be able to first out of six siblings to get a bachelor's degree, it meant so much to my parents. And they were so proud of me. And they've always been such a huge support and even supported my music career. They're so encouraging. Encouraging. That you are now a, thriving. a, a royal ambassador. Yeah. You are thriving. I mean, you're a host of a TV show. Um, so I have Kamai TV supporting and sponsoring me. Um, they've given me so much resources to succeed and be successful in my host um, on my TV show here called A Taste of Soup. So my show brings a lot of celebrities on where I talk about certain things and certain topics. And, you know, I'm going to have Sylvia on my show so she can talk about what so she exciting. does. She, You guys, I'm, she interviews a lot of people, but she has her own story to tell. So I can't wait to dig deep. It will be like a crossover thing where I'm on her podcast. She's on my show. So I can't <laughs> wait for that to happen. It's um, such an honor that I get to be yeah. on. I'm, I'm honored to be on her podcast soup. today because she she's allowing me to speak from a genuine place because I have a small circle of friends who I trust and I trust Sylvia with all my heart. She's so sweet and she has a huge heart to give and I, I'm so happy to see her podcast getting so much bigger and better and um, that's why being here to talk about my story, I'm so honored and with the Campbellton TV show, with the working with the Asian World Film Festival. You guys can see why I love Soup so much. Uh, it's, it's just so been, Thank you, it's, it's just been, um, uh, we can relate to each other on so many levels. Music and film and filmmaking and producing and directing. Just the creative the output. creative output if you're ever around creatives those those of you who are creatives listening you know that one of the biggest things is collaborating mm-hmm. and really sharing that joy of creating something new with somebody else and bringing all of those ideas together and creating something that's absolutely unique and powerful and brand new to put out there and it's amazing we have so many resources that we could do together we can have a lot of writing and um most importantly, uh, there's a lot of projects coming up with music and the new record will be coming out very soon. So with, with Sylvia here, I get to kind of be excited for what the future has to hold. What production-wise, I'm working with my team at Bermuda Triangle Entertainment. They're the top producing, directing company in the world with 60 million followers. So they've been really supporting me with my work and my music. I want to let every artist know out there that you can succeed creating your own content. You don't necessarily have to be signed to any record label. You can make music and still succeed. Many TikTokers have become celebrities with no representation whatsoever. So please never tell yourself that you're not capable because that one video you decide to make could blow up and be the next viral thing. Absolutely. And I think one of the things I was going to say earlier when you said that the doors seem to keep shutting 
you you were trying so hard to get your career off the ground here mm-hmm. in America, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen until you went to Cambodia. Right. It's all about audience as well. Don't ever think that because you're not getting the response that you're looking for, that it's you. Sometimes it's the audience that you're trying to reach. And when you find the right audience and you have that talent, of course, you have to have the talent. You have to have the spirit. You have to have that energy. You have to have that positivity Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. you. When you find that audience, it clicks. It clicks. And the magic happens. Right. And now it turned around like i'm coming back here getting known back to america now yes it's doing a turnaround just like with bts the korean boy band with the girl band the girl uh, uh black pink so but their group they got big in korea but now they're huge in america right so that's the strategy right now K-pop, it all started over there and you know i see that with a lot of the shows like squid game that started, I believe, in Korea, and it came over here. Yeah. And there's other big deal shows. Speaking that... of Square Game and Parasite, I just interviewed him for my show. So, Did you yeah. really? So a lot of um, major people have come onto the show, and I'm really blessed to be able to work with them. So that was Bong Joon-ho. Yes. Oh, Parasite was... Parasite. Amazing. I was so blown away by that. It had so many elements of Alfred Hitchcock and just the suspense, the cleverness, just the whole strategy that went into this story. If you haven't seen Parasite yet, it absolutely deserved every award that it got. It was just such an amazing yeah. film. And I'm so glad that you got to... Shout out to the Asian World Film Festival, which is allowing me to be part of the committee and having me attend all these events to be the host. Uh, I wake up every day. I'm like, wow. Pinch yourself. Yeah, I pinch myself. I'm like, every single day something's happening. Something great is coming up. Something new, something cool, something wonderful. Where, like I said, if you never give up on yourself... And you don't listen to the naysayers, you will get somewhere eventually. Right. It took me almost 20 years to reach this age where I'm almost 36 now. But then the flowers start I'm to so bloom. Old. I'm so old, you guys. Like I, I'm, you know, like I said, Kevin and I are halting. <laughs> we're stopping our aging when we hit. They're 55, waiting for me to turn 55. We're gonna, we're gonna wait for um, soup to turn 55. But I wanted to talk also about the Angkor exhibit over at the Natural History Museum. Yeah, so the Angkor exhibit is coming. uh, It's going to be ending in September. It's located at the California Science Center located in Los Angeles. So if you guys go check it out, you're going to see some monuments that were taken from Cambodia to present here. So by September, they will be returned. They're going to go on another tour. But this exhibit is beautiful. It's huge. You guys go check it out. It's amazing. I just did a little excerpt out there. My episode should be coming out pretty soon. But, you know, I definitely recommend you guys see this because you're going to feel a part of nature, a part of the history of Cambodia, and a part... It's all... It's everywhere right now. Angkor is a beautiful uh, showing. So I hope you guys have an opportunity. Grab your tickets now and go. Absolutely. And the Long Beach Aquarium, I'm doing a project with them too. So... That's another big wow. Another big wow factor. That's so exciting. So, um, so the Long Beach Aquarium has fish and sea species, life, species of everything from all over the world. From all right? over the world. Do you happen to know? I know this might be more of a you know marine biologist question, but do you happen to know if they have particular species from 
Cambodia there. They have um they have like sharks from Indonesia. Mm. But that's the closest country to Cambodia that I could think of at the time when I was there. Yeah. But definitely have tropical animals. So I have to create this song in my Thai English. So it's going to be a hard project, but I can do it. You can definitely <laughs> do it. So your album Yes. actually has a song on it that has Cambodian, Thai, Thai Laos, English and French. And French, I do uh, sing Spanish. In and Spanish. There's a record yeah, that we have in Spanish. Yes. Yeah, so I'm super excited. It's coming out really soon. I'm working on the cover right now. So um, this record I've been working on with uh, an artist. His name is Colin Lim. He's from The Voice Korea. And I'm working on with an actress named Jasmine. She sings in Spanish. And then uh, Kanong, which is my god brother, he sings in English. Uh, I'm pushing him out of his zone so he could sing in different languages. He's really good at singing in Thai. And I sing in the Khmer language, so... And this album sounds spectacular, everybody. I cannot wait until it's out. Yeah. I got a um, sneak peek or a sneak listen to it earlier today, yes. and it just blew me away. It's it's yes. very creative. And we are performing at the Lotus Festival, if you want to go. It's going to be on July 9th. I'll be performing live at Echo Park. So this event is hosted by India this year. It's an Asian-American festival. And I'm super excited to be performing it's gonna be really fun to see everyone and um COVID has like i said put a damper on all musicians and artists and everything but to see everyone being able to shoot movies again being able to come together and make concerts and being in front of people again i can't wait it's gonna be so much fun it's gonna be a lot of fun i was gonna ask you because this is funny and and actually this is a question about speaking other languages Whenever I see a magnifying glass, I think about the Spanish word first. Does that happen to you a lot? The other day I was trying to say magnifying glass to Sophie because we were searching for something on, you know, the streaming services. And I was trying to tell her, you know, hit the magnifying glass, hit the magnifying glass. And finally I go, hit the lupa. And she just started laughing. She almost fell off of the couch because she didn't know what a lupa was. And I'm like, I can't think of the word in English. And yeah. I don't speak Spanish very often. Right. But these words from other languages are either so much more accurate to describe something or they just have so much more meaning or nuance to them. Does this happen to you a lot? It is some. It happens every now and then. I like. I would look at an object. Like, oh no, oh no, turn on the the. They call it jahal or now uh, because I speak Thai and Cambodian back and forth. Uh, sometimes I'll blend it by accident. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> what what am I doing? So um, when you have so many languages going through your head, but right. I think in English. That's the interesting part. Right. Because I was born and raised here, but then I have this other language that is sitting here that I have to use when I need to use it. You know, when I was in Thailand, I had to speak Thai the whole entire time. And I was like, oh, no, nobody speaks English. I got to really pull out my goods, you know. And I pull out my goods. I'm like, oh, I got to speak Thai now. But it's so much fun to learn new languages. Isn't it? And it's not that hard. People say I can. you can. You can learn it at any age you want. It's so rewarding, and there is a sense of accomplishment when you can order things in that language. Like I said, I learned German, and I've forgotten most of it. But I remember we were in this, uh, we were in Salzburg, Austria, and everything shuts down on Sundays. It's a very religious town. In yeah. fact, you know they don't say Guten Tag; they say Great God. 
great god or god is great gross god everything shut down on sundays and i needed food for the next day and i was able to go into a bakery and order broichen which is bread um and the types that i wanted and and a couple of other things and it was really funny because at the end you know i told the lady dankeschen and she goes you're welcome and i'm like ah oh. she heard the you know the american accent in there but i think she really she said it with a big smile on her face and, and a little wink but she really appreciated the fact that here comes somebody who made the effort to speak that language and i appreciated the fact that i was able to order so i know that there is a sense that sense of accomplishment and i think it really enriches your view of the world because although you you are thinking in english you're having to speak in a different language and that requires some vision of seeing the world through that lens it, it is it's the truth because i find it to be uh to learn another language is great because i when my grandma passed away i learned a song in french that she would always sing to me but i wanted it to be very uh correct i even shot a music video for it and everything and it was uh, a beautiful music video it was dedicated to my grandma is Aline by Christophe and all my family and friends were like you're singing great you have an American accent but we understand every word you're saying you know so I was so happy but even now that I'm speaking English I have just a, you can hear like a hint of something in the way I speak English yes and I'm very proud of that accent I have it's unique it's part of my history it's part of who I am and I, I don't I don't worry about trying to speak English completely fluent I, I am, but I let myself speak like this because I like it. I think it's kind of rad. But of course, if you try hard, it is gonna, rad. Yeah, if you try so hard, you're gonna sound. Hello, guys! Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy. Right, yes. and this is your comfortable. This is your natural. This is my natural voice. speaking voice, yes. and you're gonna hear something there. But let's say I'm doing a TV role. That can you speak 100 percent, please? Well, I just wanted to let you know that the cup is sitting right there, and I'm so happy. But it's not me. It's a, a character that I play. But right now, this is truly who how I speak in real life, mm -hmm. and behind it is a little, it's a little thing sitting there that proves it's the history, it's the, it's the history legacy. of who I am. Um, to be an actor, you have to be able to switch and twist and turn yourself, and like the British accent, I picked up on that in acting class. Hello, I can't believe it. Oh, lay, isn't that weird? And that sounds more Australian, but you know, like, hey, we mate, kangaroos running all over the place. <laughs> You know, so I'm trying to learn all these interesting Just accents around the world. Just finish my sandwich. Yeah, a sandwich, please. Oh, would you like a cup of tea? Olay, stop it! You're being dumb. You know, but it's so much fun to learn about other culture. So I love to pick up on, and you know, that's why it's so interesting when other people, as tourists, come to America. Well, they're so interested in learning about who they are and where they come from. But my next film that I'm working on is very important because um, it's gonna touch base on Asian hate crimes. That's been happening a lot in America. Mm -hmm. I want to bring forward that. I'm not always singing music about partying or going to the clubs. I want to sing music about what's happening in life. You want that substance. Substance and realness and truth. Somebody told me, you're not going to get super famous if you don't like sing pop songs and be cool. I'm like, but maybe that's your goal. But that's not what I want. Right. Maybe you want famous. You want to be famous. Me, I just want to create authenticity. And if one person listens to me, I'm happy. That will make me smile for the rest of my life. One, one person 
took the time to listen to my music. And look at how many people are very happy listening Slowly, to you. Many yeah. more than just one person. Many more, but I think. Uh, and I think that comes through. You know, people appreciate authenticity, and they appreciate unique because you do end up having this homogeneity of sound. Everybody sounds the same. Everybody's putting out the same kind of music. And you want to hear something unique, you know, um, something that really garners the attention yeah. of the listener. Mm -hmm. And that makes a difference. It, this is why you get stuck sometimes going from one radio station to the next station to the next station. Right, right. And you're not hearing the sound that you want to hear. And then Soup's voice comes through yeah, yeah. and you just go, oh. Something you know, unique, is, something interesting, unique. you know. It's interesting. And it's, it's funny, when, when I sing in English, my my accent completely disappears. Mm -hmm. But it's not my, it just happens naturally, you know. I would love for the accent to come through in the music too. But for some reason, it just goes. But that gone. happens to a lot of singers. Yeah. So you hear, you know, I'm just thinking like the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. They don't have an English sound. The Beatles didn't the have Beatles an English didn't sound. Have sound. I think they worked on it. You know, a lot of bands, all of a sudden you're listening to an interview on them and you go, whoa, I never knew this person had an accent. And it doesn't come through in the music. But you notice the music is changing. Like different languages of music is being played on radio. You're hearing this on American radio. That's a great sign that the world is opening up. Even if we don't understand what they're saying, but we feel the music, you know, we feel the power in it. And um, that's why I love to sing in different languages. I love power ballads. I love singing about love. You do love, love. ballads. Yeah, I love ballads. I mean, I love singing happy-go-lucky songs, yes. too. Yeah. But most A lot of, of Soup's music is about love, and it's very positive. It's, it's got just a lot of really positive vibes in it. Yeah, and I have an English record coming out probably in a month or two. I'll sing it a little bit, a little snippet for you guys. It's a, it's a ballad. It's about learning to love every moment that comes by. In a time, memories will pass by, and every moment becomes your story and now that i have found these loving memories and it has such a a country vibe to it because my dad loves country music so i love oh. country music so much and i sound like a country singer you do sound like a country singer <laughs> that is hilarious definitely. oh my god that was so funny What's the melody that goes along with it? Is it? Uh, um, it's a very melodic. It's, it's a ballad, so it's very like. Da, 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 da. And when I write music, I comes it comes from dreams or vivid memories of some sort. So then it, I I record it on my phone, and then I will take it to the producers. Producers will create music around it, and that becomes a record. That's so amazing. Yeah. So um, a, and you know, yeah, even when you hummed, you sounded country. It's really cause it, the influence of what <laughs> my dad loved listening to, you know. But uh, the the music industry in Cambodia, they expect me to sing not like that. Is the music from Cambodia? I know that a lot of the Asian cultures have the pentatonic scale. Mm -hmm. Is that the scale that they use? They are on a more simpler scale. Is they sing from their guts and their hearts. So, um, there's a melody that, I, and it's just simple. 
there's no riffs, there's no belting. It's more very simple. Get straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Pop music, but that's where I'm learning to really shift the music scene because I haven't been told that I can sing like that over there. But I want to sing more power, more more grit, more more vowels, and more uh, sophistication in the music because that's what I learned growing up. I learned to sing from a soulful place. Go on tour in us December, so I'm super excited. My album will be finished September. And then I have a record, and everything will be ready to sh- go out there and do it again. It's so exciting. So, how long is your tour going to be? How many places are you going to hit? Is it going to be Cambodia only, or are you going to try to hit some other countries? Um, so this one will be Cambodia and Thailand specifically, and then I'll probably try to hit the Philippines. The Philippines is a great market for music too. They love. I I work with uh, Jake Cyrus. She used to be known as Charisse. She's a good pal of mine so um he's a powerful singer and uh we just had the voice contestant runner-up season 11 here the last week so she was in the studio um so there's a lot of great talents coming in but most importantly i respect celebrities who have the same respect for us humans as just people learning to survive and learning to follow our dreams and uh finding true happiness and coexisting yeah right? yeah and you know uh, like I could ask you, Sil, like what is your version, your uh, interpretation of happiness? So I think I've said this a few times. My interpretation of happiness is finding meaning. When you find meaning, you find purpose. And from purpose, you find contentment. Right. I think, you know, we chase happiness in so many different ways. And this is kind of the ideology for some of the, some of the ills of society. You know, people want to get to that happy state so they drink a lot or they'll do drugs or they gamble like crazy they do you know we want that excitement Mm -hmm. when that excitement is within us that that joyfulness that sense of contentment is within us when we see things that matter and we pursue them and find that purpose that aha moment is incredibly joyful and to be able to immerse yourself into something like that especially to be able to immerse yourself into something purposeful with like-minded people and be able to create positivity into the world and be able to create just this collaborative joyfulness you do find contentment there yeah so it's a very uh complicated question too because i don't sometimes i don't know what makes me happy but i've learned that people make me happy people that I enjoy being around that uplift and support each other and are always there for one another because um, you know we're we're a social species we require the social interaction with people and I've been blessed with the right team I've been um, taken advantage of a lot in the industry but the music industry is slowly shifting and if you're smart and you pay attention to details you don't have to fall in that predicament you can mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. why um, all the projects that I have coming up are just lined up with the right people it's been uh, a huge blessing in disguise when you lose one project another one comes in the universe like you said you mentioned the universe right it will balance you out sometimes sometimes you need life to save you you need so it. those those uh the shifting balances of life sometimes mm. will shut an opportunity down but present you with another one and also you know like you said surrounding yourself with the right people right and um and it just takes 
takes that discernment that you were just talking about, you know, and understanding what it is that you want, understanding what your values are, what you value in others, and um, just, you know, bringing it all together so that you have a winning team, so that you have this winning supportive community around you yeah it's such a that's why it's such an honor to be on your podcast and to talk about all these topics i was able to share and i think there's going to be a chapter two coming up because i have so much more to jump into I you think know so. so i want you guys to stay tuned i'm so blessed to be here on uh sylvia's podcast everyone stay tuned there's so much more she has coming up a lot of things are coming up everyone can learn we can learn from each other Definitely. If we open ourselves to learning, anything is possible. So thank you so much, Sylves, for having me on the show today. Well, thank you for coming on. I I am imminently forever honored to count you among my friends because oh, he's family. We're we're a complete family. Yeah. And he's very silly. The next one will be <laughs> <laughs> the next yeah. one will be a very silly podcast. Yeah. We're not gonna get quite as serious. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. Soup is such a treasure. I always love spending time with him and listening to his positive and ever excited perspective on life and especially his goals and plans to unite and incorporate so many amazing people into his awesome projects. And don't forget to stay past the end for Soup's beautiful recording. If you're in Los Angeles, I hope that you take advantage of some of those upcoming local projects that we mentioned and which soup will be a part of. There's so much work ahead of us in terms of finding better ways of coexisting and preventing another war and genocide from appearing in future generations history books. We have the power to change the world in great and positive ways. And it begins by educating ourselves and deciding that history does not need to be repeated. As always, I'll post links to everything that we talked about in the show notes, including links to Soup's song videos, and even a couple of recipes for crickets and grasshoppers, since insect cuisine has become so much more popular in recent years as efforts into planet sustainability progress. And as you'll see, especially from the Mexican grasshoppers recipe, that insects are not just a Southeast Asian thing. They are eaten across the globe. Please continue to send me your questions and suggestions. I love hearing from you and do my best to reply to everyone, even if I don't get to the questions here. And please don't forget to take a moment to rate this episode. It only takes seconds, but your ratings move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming in the company of friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail. And until next time, I wish you passion, grace, adventure, courage, kindness, integrity, peace, elegance, and beauty.
แต่ใจฮักมาฝากน,น้องคนดีไอ้นมตกงานเงินซื้อของควันบ่มีมาหาวันนี้บ่มีดอกไม้ช่องงามการเงินคอนแคลนขอเพียงแฟนเข้าใจ,าใจน้องอย่าผลักใจซ้ำไว้อย่าได้ใจดำไม่มีดอกไม้มีเพียงหัวใจบอบช้ำปากน้องคนงามแทนของขวัญวันแดลินทายลาบงงาวันนี้ก็มีสักชออย่าพิ่งหน้าง้อไอขอขอจงอภัยมหาวันนี้มอบแทนดอกไม้วันดาวเลนทายแก้วตาวันดาวเลนทายไอบอกมียังต่อมีแต่คำลอนอย่าดวนจะร้อนสัญญาอย่าเปลี่ยนทางเดินตอนไอกระเทินเงินตราGuitar riffs, it's amazing song. That was Soup Fa Soup. Thank you for letting me play your song here on the Queen Trail podcast. That was such a treat. Mm-hmm. 